Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Well, I'm excited to be back in church, and I just wanted to jump on and uh, with what CJ was saying about our newcomer coffee today. I see a lot of new faces, and we would love to get to know you better. Uh, if you are new-ish or haven't been to a newcomer coffee before, please come and hang out with us. Uh, we would love to just hear who you are, where you're coming from. And again, if you want more information about our church, you can scan. There's a QR code on the seat in front of you, or if you're... Um, you know, less digitally inclined, like me, actually. Uh, you can take one of those uh, cards out of the seat back pocket in front of you and fill them out. So we get to connect with you a little bit more. That would be awesome. And uh, again, if you're new here, you probably don't know what we've been talking about, but we've been in a little bit of a study in Matthew chapter 12. Leading up to Easter time, we figured it was important for us to look at Jesus again uh, and his ministry when he was here on earth, you know, and just really diving into some of the some of the words of Jesus in a particular moment. And uh, we've been looking at this for three weeks, and this is week four, and it's kind of two, or sorry, three sets of two-parters. So you're actually on the second part, where we're talking about Jonah. Jesus makes some statements in Matthew chapter 12 that we've been diving into. He says these three things about himself, that he's greater than three things that were very important to the people he was talking to. He says, one greater than the temple is here, one greater than Jonah is here, one greater than Solomon is here. And these aren't little kind of throwaway comments from Jesus. He's touching on some huge, huge things for them. These are the cornerstones of their worldview. And Jesus is making the massive claim that he's greater than all of it. He's greater than all of it. So what does he mean by this? Well, Michael J. Wilkins says this. says, Jesus is claiming to be greater than and the fulfillment of the three greatest institutions of Israel, the priest, prophet, and king. They built their lives around trusting the priest, the prophet, and the king. And Jesus shows up and says, everything that they are supposed to be for you, I am that and so much more. The people had built their lives on these foundations and Jesus said he came to perfect them, to be the true cornerstone that really every one of us need for our lives, the sure foundation. So last week, we started looking at the prophet Jonah, when Jesus makes the claim that one greater than Jonah is here. And we started looking at Jonah because if you don't know anything about Jonah, how can you know what Jesus is greater than, right? Jonah, the reluctant prophet, the story in the Bible the humor of the story of Jonah in the Bible, we looked at in depth. It's really a great satire about a person who decides to run away from God and everything God has for him. That's Jonah in the Bible. If you weren't with us last week, I'll let the American prophet, or sorry, poet Thomas Carlyle sum up kind of the end of the story of Jonah for us. In his poem called You, Jonah, he gives us God's mindset at the end of Jonah's story and Jonah's. And it says this, And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a whole host of Jonah's and their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. If you don't know anything about the story of Jonah, just know this. It will ask massive questions of you and your motivations, as we saw last week. It has serious questions for all of us because in some way or another, we're all Jonah, right? We're all Jonah, and we're all in need of something greater. 
This week, let's turn our attention to how Jesus is greater than Jonah. Something greater has arrived. We're going to read this moment again in Scripture in Matthew chapter 12, if you want to turn there with me. It'll be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 12, 38 to 41, says this. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Jesus replied to them, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Let's pray together, and let's see how Jesus is greater than Jonah. Lord, we're thankful that every time we come to your word, we get to have a conversation with you. A two-way conversation where we, we bring all of ourselves to you, and your word speaks to us in the deep places of our spirit, Lord. We pray that you would do that this morning that you'd be here by your spirit, that you'd meet with us, you'd challenge us, but more than anything, you would remind us of how faithful and true you are. Even though, Lord, we get it wrong a whole lot, you never do. You are so much greater than, and you are exactly what we need. I pray that you would help us to see that with fresh eyes this morning, that you would make every one of us have that moment of awareness this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week as we were looking at Jonah's story, you know, you might be tempted to ask the question, why on earth would Jesus ever relate himself to this person, right? Because he he got it wrong, not just a a little bit, but a lot. And of all the prophets that Jesus could have chosen to talk about himself as fulfilling the role of prophet, why on earth would he choose Jonah? Why not like Samuel, who didn't do a whole lot wrong, or, or Daniel? Daniel was awesome, right? Why Jonah? whose story is basically just one of abject failure, right? But Jonah is so unique and brings just shocking clarity in the message that God's trying to get through Jonah and also in the method that God employs to get Jonah into that place. Remember, when these people come to Jesus and they ask him, they're asking for a sign. They're asking for proof. They're asking for a miracle, And Jonah gives us one of the most clear, shocking, miraculous moments in all of Scripture with, you know, being swallowed by a whole fish and all that business, right? Just a little detail. Just a little thing. The reality is this, you know, whenever we see these great miracles in Scripture, these great things happening, these crazy stories, we tend to get hung up a little bit on the miracle itself, right? Anybody else like, whoa, what? Did I read that correctly? You know, even today... When we pray for God to move, so many times we get hung up on the miracle itself, the method itself, the how itself. But there's another thing going on in Jonah's story. Maybe another reason that Jesus chooses Jonah in this moment, which is the why of God. Not so much the how he got Jonah from place to place or what he was going to do with Jesus, but why is God up to this? And Jesus makes a big contrast out of what God is focused on in Jonah's moment and what Jonah's focused on. It's the same contrast between what Jesus is wanting and desiring in this moment we see and what the Pharisees and religious leaders are after. 
Because how many of you guys know that the dream of God, what makes him you know, tick, what his heart is, his why has not changed from the beginning. His heartbeat is that all people will know him. He wants to be in deep, loving, abiding relationship in faithfulness to all people. And that was something that Jonah didn't quite capture. He couldn't get his mind around. So when Jesus invokes the name of Jonah here, it's not by accident. He had a whole lot of other prophets he could have chosen, but he chose Jonah on purpose. It's not by accident. And both in pointing to the sign itself, and more importantly, in reminding them of God's heart, he's using Jonah in a specific way. How many of you guys know that Jesus didn't show up to continue on business as usual in our lives? He wants to turn the world upside down. In this moment, he wants to turn your world and my world upside down because of how much he cares about us. And you know, the thing about turning the world upside down is it tends to ruffle some people's feathers along the way, particularly people who like the world as it is, right? So who's asking Jesus in this moment? Some people who have got things figured out. They like things. They got it just so. Maybe they're not quite happy with what this Jesus movement is doing in their midst. So we've got to focus on who Jesus is talking to. There's a parallel between Jesus and the religious leaders here and Jonah's story that's so important for us to grasp. So we said last week, Jonah's story, everything is backwards in Jonah's story. You know, the right people, Jonah, disobeys God, runs from God, gets angry at God when God shows up with mercy and justice, right? They get everything wrong. The wrong people in the story, like the sailors and the people of Nineveh, they repent, they obey, they trust God, they receive mercy. Everything is backwards in Jonah's story. And if you've been following along with Matthew up to this point, everything is kind of backwards with Jesus as well. This is exactly what's happening with all the people around Jesus. You know, all the wrong people, they're kind of coming to Jesus, trusting Jesus. They're pumped about what Jesus stands for, the tax collectors, the sinners, right? And not all the right people are happy about what Jesus is doing. Kind of like the sailors who threw Jonah overboard or the Ninevites who were totally corrupt and as far from God as could be, Jesus was often found amongst the wrong people in Scripture. He was found amongst the people who, you know, they didn't have it all figured out. And that's why the right people like the Pharisees and the religious leaders were a bit uncomfortable with Jesus. How many of you guys love an underdog story? Right? You love an underdog story. You love to cheer for the one who really shouldn't get there but just does. The little engine that could. You know, it's NCAA tournament time, right? Who's going to be the Cinderella story? That team who, you know, they're, they're not getting all the scholarships and stuff like that, but somehow they fight their way, and just by sheer will and determination, they make it to the end, right? We love underdog stories, Cinderella stories. We love it. But we love it, really, unless we're on that team that is the favorite, <laughs> Right? Unless we're the ones who are supposed to succeed and the underdog comes along and knocks us off our high perch, that's a little different for us. We love underdog stories unless we're the ones who stand to lose something when the underdog gets elevated. This is kind of the discomfort that Jesus was bringing to the Pharisees in this moment. As he was championing the underdogs and the wrong people, the right people were starting to bristle a little bit at what he was saying to them. But here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't come to be the savior of just the select few. 
He came to be the Savior for all people. He came to be the Savior, not just for the right people, but for the wrong people, for the people who think they're no people. He came to find them, to seek and save that which is lost, he said. Jesus the Messiah, the true prophet, is the Savior of all people. We said last week, when you're looking at what a prophet is in Scripture, the role of prophet among God's people, it was to uphold the covenant, to call them to be faithful to God. And the Pharisees questioning Jesus in this moment, they kind of saw themselves as stepping into that role, protectors of the covenant. Let's keep everybody in line here. That was who they saw themselves in. But they were focused on all the wrong things, Jesus said. The true prophet, the one that we all need, he isn't focused on just a bunch of external shows of righteousness like they were. But he remembers why God gave the covenant in the first place. If you look at the covenants in scripture that they're supposed to be protecting, you can see clearly God's heart in making a covenant with Abraham and expanding that covenant through Moses and promising what he promised to David. All of them have the same heartbeat. It says this, you will be blessed to be a blessing and set apart so that the entire earth will be blessed through you and restored to God. The covenant that they were meant to be protecting was never about a subset of people. It was always about all people being invited back into relationship with the Father. That's been God's heart from the beginning. That's why he chose this family and set them apart. But the prophets were human. And they were struggling with that. The Pharisees didn't want anything to do with that part. So why did Jesus use Jonah in this moment? Yeah, sure, in part it was because of the sign, the miracle, the method that God used. And we'll come back to that because that's significant too. But a huge part of why Jesus clocks onto Jonah in this moment is this, where Jonah failed to understand the heart of God and reluctantly preached at all the wrong people. Jesus came to carry God's heart for all people, to make it unmistakable what God wants, what his heart is, and to set the world free. Amen? Amen? Jesus contrasts him with Jonah in this moment. So let's look at where we left off with Jonah last week. The end of Jonah's story, sitting on a hill, waiting for God to torch all the wrong people because they're beyond saving, yelling at God, angry that God would have the audacity to show mercy to them. That's Jonah in this moment. Like the poet said, waiting for God to come around to his way of thinking. You know, if you don't know Jonah's story, I encourage you to read it. It's all backwards, but it's important. The author of Jonah's story, he intentionally kind of pulls on some earlier prophets' writings. They make this image of what it would be like for a piece of pottery, a clay pot, to start arguing with the one who's shaping it on the wheel. For a creation to argue with its creator. And in this moment, that's kind of the picture we get of Jonah. He's arguing, he's clapping back at the creator saying, you're doing it wrong. How could you possibly forgive these people? You know what I find interesting though? In Jeremiah 18, where we get that image of the potter and the clay, in the exact same thought, we read this. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10 says this. God himself, speaking about how he's the potter and they are the clay, says, hey, if at any time... I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, destroyed. And if that nation 
that I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict upon it the disaster that I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up or planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I had intended to do for it. What does this mean? This means God is in charge of blessing and cursing. God is in charge of success. God is the potter who shapes the whole world and does what he pleases according to his justice. But it means that God is looking at hearts. He's looking at what's going on on the inside. It's amazing as Jonah is this piece of clay clapping back at the potter that he totally missed the memo on God's purposes, it seems. And as the people of Nineveh, totally evil, corrupt nation, all the way down to their animals, it tells us, begin to repent and obey the Lord, God asks Jonah one final question. And he lets it hang in the air. Jonah 4.11, he basically says, shouldn't I care about these people? Should I not have concern for such a great nation as this and all the people where there's 120,000 people here who don't know their left hand from their right, they weren't given the covenant like you, Jonah. Shouldn't I care about them? And he lets it linger in the air. The story cuts right there, ends on a question. We're left on a great big cliffhanger. Did God ever get through to Jonah? Did Jonah ever get on the same page as God? What should God do with all those people who are outsiders, who are the wrong people? It would appear to be an unanswered question in Scripture, one that God leaves hanging so it continues to mess with us for generation to generation and challenge us, right? But here's what I see. Once Jesus completed his work on the cross for us, the Bible comes back to this question. The Bible goes back to this unresolved thread and makes a crystal clear answer for you and I. I want to show you something that I find to be really cool in scripture, but it probably needs to be said that I'm a total Bible nerd. So you might not care about this, but you're going to try. So check this out. After Jesus is ascended to the Father and the church begins to spread and grow, Luke captures something for us in Acts chapters 9 through 11 that speaks unmistakably to this lingering question. In the first of the two volumes of Luke that make up about a quarter of the New Testament, that's his gospel, we get his account of Jesus' life and ministry, and then he writes a second letter. And in the second volume, he lays out how the good news of Jesus gets to the whole world, how that message of hope is a message of hope for all people. It was Luke who captured the story of the shepherds that first Christmas night as the angels proclaimed to them, we bring you good tidings of great joy for all people. It was Luke who captured Jesus' words to his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Luke has a focal point here. He's the one who says that this message of hope isn't about a small group of people, it's about everybody. How Jesus came, not just to get a few people to straighten up, but to make a way for all to enter back into real life and relationship with God himself. And the key turning point in the book of Acts happens in Acts 9 through 11. 
when this message of hope, this good news, goes beyond just this Jewish sect of people. This is where it gets a little nerdy, and I think absolutely brilliant, and is by no means accidental what Luke is saying here. It carries unmistakable references back to Jonah's story and God's question for Jonah. Remember, Jonah heard God's intention to speak to an oppressive, non-Jewish nation, and then he fled to the port city of Joppa so he could run as far away from God's intention as possible. Okay? In Acts chapter 10, we're introduced to Peter again, whose real name happened to be Simon Bar-Jonah or Simon, son of Jonah, hanging out where? In the port city of Joppa. And in that place, the word of the Lord comes to him as well. The Spirit of God gives him a vision and rewires completely, in no uncertain terms, who is in and who is out in the kingdom of God. You can read it in Acts chapter 9 through 11. It's incredible what God does. So Peter breaks with Hebrew tradition, enters the home of a Gentile from an oppressive Roman leader to share God's message of grace and mercy. And what happens? The whole household repents, believes, and is instantly filled with the Spirit of God. And the Jewish people are like, what? This is happening? They can't believe their eyes. This story, let me just make it even simpler. Last week we had Jonah hanging out in Joppa to run from God's purposes, preaching the Gentiles. When he's finally dragged to Nineveh, he throws straight condemnation at them and waits for God to destroy them. But in Acts, we see Simon, son of Jonah, hanging out in Joppa, willingly carrying God's heart, his message of salvation to the Gentiles, because the Holy Spirit has transformed and empowered him to be a messenger of the gospel. Same name, same place, same assignment from God's Spirit. Coincidence? I think not. The Bible's full of stuff like this. It's constantly going back, because that question God asked Jonah... A question God asks all of us from time to time is answered emphatically here. Should I care about these people? God puts the exclamation point on it here with Peter and says, yes, I care for all people ever. And I will never stop trying to reach them with my mercy. There is good news for them. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. As Peter put it, when he decided to obey the Lord, even though he didn't understand all the Lord's purposes, when he decided to obey, he said this in Acts 10, 28, and 34 to 35. He says this, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. He said, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Now for us, we continue to struggle with this as we look at things on the world stage maybe even. It's very, very obvious right now that there is true evil in our world still. It still is a challenge to us, but thank God that he doesn't just ask the question and leave it unanswered because Jesus is his answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus came to create a brand new people of God that we get to be part of to bring about what God has always desired. He never, ever took his eye off of what God's heart is for. 
So let's look at how Jesus did this for us. Let's look at the sign itself, which Jesus puts the focus on as he talks to the Pharisees that day. So how did Jonah get to Nineveh to preach the word? He took an Uber, right? Look, I've been in some strange Ubers before, but thank God. None of them have smelled like fish. (laughs) Ew. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Jonah, he gets swallowed by some giant fishy thing out in the sea, which got sick of him as well and kind of projectiled him out onto a beach in the direction of God's plan again, right? That's what we looked at last week. And as weird as it sounds, (laughs) this story is just kind of a wild example of a pattern that happens over and over again with God's people, and particularly with the prophets of Israel. To understand it, you've got to kind of understand the Hebrew mindset of like how the world came into being, the cosmology that they embraced. So Genesis account tells us that they saw the world like this, God's space in the heavens. That's where God resides. You know, the land that God brought forth is our space. There's like this uncultivated wilderness thing that we don't know about. And then especially there's the deep of the sea, the deep of the sea. And this is where things are really dicey and we don't like it. The deep, the dark and chaotic waters we see on page one. In fact, the second sentence of the Bible tells us that the spirit hovers over the chaos of the waters. Everything is formless and void. It's weird down there. We don't like it. But God's spirit brings forth order out of chaos for us. But that void, that deep, that's where Jonah gets hurled into the deep. Down, down, down he goes. Down he sinks. And in their understanding, somewhere down there is the grave, is Sheol, hell. Jonah, in chapter 2, says this, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried to you, Lord. He sees himself as being in that place of death. So we've got a prophet going through the turbulent, chaotic waters, and he's there for three days. This is also significant in not just the biblical literature, but ancient literature. In the word and in the ancient world, a three-day journey is a symbol. It's like ringing a giant bell to alarm us that something is going on here. It signals to the reader that this is an ominous journey. This is where there's danger, there's nearness to death. Even in other ancient stories where this language of a three-day journey comes into pass, or the third day, it's linked to extreme danger. Some of you guys might have spotted that you know, Jesus wasn't in the grave for three days and three nights. It wasn't 72 hours. And you've, I've had a few questions about that after referencing this passage. In Hebrew mindsets, any part of a day counted for the whole thing. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday... Even if it was only two nights, it makes perfect sense to a Hebrew mind that Jesus is tapping into this theme of the perilous journey towards death. Okay, so we've got Jonah descending into the clutches of death in very specific terms from the author. Why? Why does Jesus pick up on this? Why does Jesus say this is the sign that you're going to see to these people asking his question? In the story of the Bible, particularly with the prophets, and the remnant of God's people, this same sign keeps coming back. Over and over again, they pass through the waters. They pass near to death to arrive at God's plan of salvation. Whether it's Noah who goes through the waters, Moses goes through the waters, Joshua, Elijah, it keeps coming back again and again. This is sometimes referred to as the salvation template. Central figures in the biblical story all have this same arc. And when Jesus promises them the sign of Jonah, 
He says, this is going to happen with me too. He's looking forward to what he's going to endure for us that only he knew about. And it's kind of ironic because he's talking to the people who are going to kill him about what they're going to do to him. And they have no idea. They're asking for a sign. He's like, you're going to be the ones to do it to me. You guys are going to pull the trigger. Because he will pass through death. And he will emerge victorious with salvation for all. That's what he's saying. Just as he told them, as we looked at the temple, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days, he declared his mission was to fulfill this prophetic pattern in all of scripture, to be the fullness of it. He's the true prophet. And he won't just offer his life, he won't just have a near-death experience, but Jesus says, I will fully descend into death itself and emerge with the keys to the grave. You know, this is the sole connection between Jesus and Jonah. Like we said last week, they don't have anything else in common. Nothing else about them looks alike. But it's also Jesus intentionally saying, it's like that, but it's different. Because unlike Jonah, Jesus wasn't just going to brush with death. He was really going to give his life for us. Unlike Jonah, he wasn't going to, you know, just preach condemnation. He was bringing the real good news for us. Jonah hurled condemnation at Nineveh and earned them a temporary reprieve. Jesus offers everlasting life, inexhaustible grace and mercy for every day, for everyone. And unlike Jonah, Jesus was going to carry God's heart the right way. You know, Jonah's ethnocentricity blinded him. He couldn't understand God's intention for repentance, restoration, forgiveness, he was even upset with God when those things came to pass. But aren't you thankful that Jesus is greater than Jonah? Aren't you thankful that Jesus carries the heart of God for all people to turn from their ways that keep us in bondage and step into forgiveness and freedom? Jesus is greater than Jonah. He was looking ahead. Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross that he went on this perilous journey into death. He could see past his death, burial, and resurrection to something in the future. What was it? What was the joy set before him? He saw past the miracle with all the pain it was going to bring for him to the deep longing of God's heart being fulfilled for all time, that salvation would come for all people. Jesus didn't come to get a bunch of people to straighten up. He came to be the savior we need, the true salvation that we need. And I am just so thankful that his people didn't keep that story to themselves. Anyone else? Anybody else? I'm so thankful that Peter didn't choose to keep this, that he reversed the failures of Jonah and decided he was going to share it with the whole world. Peter, Paul, and the gang, they didn't pull a Jonah and wait for the fireworks. I'm thankful for that. Anybody else? See, I don't know anybody here. Maybe there's somebody here who can trace their roots all the way back to Abraham, but I know I can't. I'm not one of the in people. But because of Jesus, we get to be adopted into the family of God. Because of Jesus, God looks at us and sees his dearly beloved children. And that's the good news. No matter where you came from, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, if you're the right people or the wrong people or no people, he wants you. 
He wants you, and he wants you enough to enter into death for you, to take the punishment that we all rightly deserve on his own shoulders. That's the good news of Jesus. And as Peter would say later on to a vast number of people, all over the place, he said this, once you were not a people, once you were nobodies, once you were a scattered group that never had any unity, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now God has shown you his mercy. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done for us. The prophets of old, they foretold that one day God would come with a new prophet and make a new covenant with his people that would transform our hearts, that he would totally forgive our sins. And Jesus has done it for us. He is the true prophet that we need. Amen? He's the one Isaiah speaks about who wouldn't just brush with death and condemn us, but would enter into death itself and arise victorious. Isaiah said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God, he took on his shoulders. And by his wounds, we are healed. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's what the sign of Jonah is. The fulfillment and the perfection of the prophetic pattern of all of scripture. In Jesus, we have the real deal. We have the real deal. A real cornerstone that we can build our lives upon. See, the prophets, while calling people to be faithful to God, you know, they struggled with their own faithfulness. They were human beings. And Jonah's the poster child for this. But Jesus is faithful and true. He is faithful and true. He's not just a protector of the covenant. He is the revelation of a brand new covenant. What he said is the covenant in his blood for us. That by his sacrifice, all who put their trust in his name can be part of this new covenant family that he is making. Like John brilliantly declared of Jesus in the beginning of his gospel, he said this, the true light that gives light to everyone was come into the world. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, Pharisees. Yet all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born out of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When he chose Jonah, Jesus was giving a nod towards what was to come for him. The thing that only he could see ahead, that he would indeed pass through the chaotic waters into death itself and emerge victorious to bring about God's heart for a new covenant family that we get to be part of. Aren't you thankful? And now he gives that same right to us that we can pass from death to life. That we don't have to stay dead in our sins, dead in the patterns, going through the motions. He wants to put his life within us. No matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done or haven't done, no matter what kind of people we are, he wants to restore us to God's intention and design for us. This is why the symbol of baptism is so sacred to us as a people. That we too are invited to pass through the waters, to enter into his death and emerge with his life. This is what it all comes about. We can follow him through the waters. 
we can leave that old self behind. We can let him make us into new creations in Christ Jesus. Amen? We can be adopted into his family. And we can then join him in carrying this good news to everyone we meet. We can carry his heart for people. We can let him give us fresh vision for every person that we interact with, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, because everyone needs to hear it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. We're going to pray in a second, but I want to let this ask its questions of us for just a moment. I'm so thankful that Jesus is so much greater than Jonah, that he is faithful and true, and that he created a new covenant with us. You know, you might be here today, and you might feel like, you know what, if God only knew what I had done, you wouldn't want me. You know, the enemy wants to whisper that lie in your ear over and over again every day of your life until you are whispering it to everyone around you. But that's not how God sees you. God sees you as his dearly beloved child. He wants to leave the 99 and go after the one that is lost, he says. So if that's you today, if that's what you feel like, if you feel like, you know what, I'm not the right person. In fact, I don't even know why I'm in church today. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all put together. Jesus was talking to a group of people who had it all figured out and all put together. And he was reminding them that God's heart is for all people. And that includes you and I. So if you're here today and that's you, you know, with everybody kind of heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if, if that's how you've been feeling, maybe you're saying, I can't shake this feeling. Would you just slip your hand up? I want to see who we're praying for today. Maybe you've been feeling like, you know what? I'm not worthy. God could never love me. I see hands all over the place. And you know what? The enemy of our souls wants us to believe that lie. And he'll never stop selling it to us. Like Jonah in some ways, he wants to throw just straight condemnation at us. That's not the God God that we serve. You know, our Lord will allow us to feel Conviction when something's wrong, when something is alienating us from his presence, he absolutely will allow us to feel the weight of that because he wants to draw us back to his heart. But when it strays into condemnation, that's the enemy's tool. That's the enemy's game. That has nothing to do with God's heart for us. He wants to set us free. And today he can set you free too. We're going to pray in just a minute. But maybe today, maybe today is the first time, maybe you're here and you've never heard that God's heart is for all people. You've never heard that God sent his own son to be the answer to that question. Do I care about all peoples? Yes, I care this much. I'm sending my own son to lay down his life for you so that you could have new life, that you could be adopted into this family. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, or maybe you've heard it a million times before, but today it's landing with fresh power in your heart and the Holy Spirit is pulling on you. And it'd be remiss of me this morning not to ask if you're here and you're saying, yes, I wanna be part of that family. For the first time, I wanna be part of that. I wanna give my whole self to him. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up as well? I wanna pray for you as well. Amen, hands all over the place. Thank you, Jesus. All you need to know is that Jesus is greater. 
He's greater than anything else you could build your life on. And he will absolutely knock on the door of your heart and say, hey, this thing you got going on is a lie. You can try and build your life on it, but it's going to lead you down a dark road. Come to me when you're weary, when you're overloaded with the stress of this life, when you can't see straight. Just keep coming to me. I'll teach you how to live freely and lightly. I'm going to set you free. And he wants to do that for you today. So if you raised your hands, I just want to pray a very simple prayer over you. And I want you to repeat after me. It's, you know, there's nothing magical about repeating a prayer. But if you mean it in your heart, if you're saying to him, I hear you knocking, and I want to know what you mean when you say you've got fresh life for me. If you mean this deep in your heart, he's going to come to you. He's going to take up residence with you, and he is going to set you free. Would you just pray this after me? And everybody could repeat this after me. Just pray, dear Jesus. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you that you didn't just pass near to death, but you entered into death itself and emerged victorious for me. Thank you that you took my sin on your shoulders to set me free. I want to know you. I want to be near to you. I want to be part of your family. I give you my life. Come teach me how to live for you and help me to follow every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this place this morning. God, thank you that you don't leave us as orphans, as the word says that you're not willing that any should perish and be separated from you, but you continually come to each of us with your mercy. Even though we could never be the right people, God, you came looking for me. You come looking for every one of us every single day. And Lord, let every single day be a day where we say, I hear you calling and I belong to you, Jesus. God, we thank you that you are greater than Jonah, that you're greater than the temple, you're greater than Solomon. Anything else we could build our lives on, anything else that just merely points to you, you came so that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt exactly what your heart is for us, that you want to be near to us, that you want us in long-standing, loving, faithful relationship with you till the end of time. And help us, Lord, to let nothing hold us back, no distraction, no lies of the enemy, no patterns of thinking that we've gotten ourselves into. Come as only you can and set us free by your power in our lives, Lord. Erase all those lies and help us to come back to the truth. In Jesus' name, we thank you that you're here and we worship you, Lord, because you're a good father who never stops looking for his children. And God, we turn our hearts, our entire lives to you this morning and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come and be honored in this place. We look to you and we stand in awe of you for what you've done, for what you are doing, for what you will continue to do every day of our lives. We lift you up in this place and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship him. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.